This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. In this lifetime, not just at this last day, this day of judgment, but in this lifetime. Now, let's imagine that uh, we are the church in Rome. So, among, amongst us, let's say, this side, these are the Jews. And this side, these are the non-Jews. These are the, uh, yeah, these are, the non-Jews are also called Gentiles. Okay, so all of us here, we are gathered to hear uh, what this famous Christian persecutor turned evangelist has to say in this in his letter. So as the letter reader was reading the passage, let's say let's say the letter reader was called Fang, and the Jews as the as she was reading chapter one, the Jews on this side will say, Amen, sister, preach it. We are not like those guys over there. We're not like those Gentiles. We Jews have the law. We Jews have this law that God gave Moses. We Jews have the circumcision that God gave Abraham. We are God's people. We are not like those lawless, uncircumcised, sinful, filthy Gentiles. And just as this group of Jews are thinking all this, Fang reads in verse 1. Okay, so this, I'll, I'll read it from the ESV. So it starts with, Therefore, you have no excuse, O men, every one of you who judges. You, O man, you, O woman, you, the one sitting in a chair over there, you have no excuse when you judge, when you act as their judge and you announce God's judgment on them. Because, so the rest of verse 1, it says, For, for, at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. So the Jews, they condemn themselves because they do the same things that they are judging the Gentiles for. That's that's not all that the passage says. Let's look at verse 2. God also condemns them for sin. Verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So God condemns them for sin. And verse, verse 3 tells us that the Jews think that they can act as judge. They can pass judgment on Gentiles and yet do the same things by themselves. Now the Jews are like this teacher friend I have. Are any of you uh, teachers here? No. Maybe Wing E, yes. Wing E. So uh, there's this teacher friend that I have. Uh, we went went to army together. So sometimes at reservist, I'll see him. And during our reservist, sometimes there's a lot of free time. So what what he does during his free time is he takes out uh, the his students' homework, the holiday homework, one, one tick stack, and he starts marking, marking and marking and marking. And after each piece, I realized he was putting last week's or last month's dates on the scripts to say that he marked it last month. Now, I, you you know that teachers hate it when when we cheat, when we copy someone else's homework. But this teacher, he would cheat the students by giving them a false date, by telling us, I'm sure this teacher will punish students for cheating, but he himself cheats. And like my friend, the Jews are breaking the law that they judge others for. 
And to us, this is this doesn't make sense. But that's how the but just what the Jews are thinking. And the Jews, for them, their guilt doesn't just end here. You see, verse four to five adds on to their guilt. Verse four to five says that they also reject God's kindness. So this, let me read read it, the passage for you. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's patience, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So what this passage is saying is that when the Jews sin, God doesn't act in final judgment straight away and send all of them to hell. No, this passage says that God patiently, God kindly, bore with their sin to give the Jews more time to repent, to turn from their sins, to stop the sin that God hates, and to turn to God, to trust in the gospel, to trust in God's power to save them. And what have the Jews done instead? Instead, they have, they have spurned God's kind patience. They have treated, they have treated God's kindness like rubbish, like, they have treated God's kindness like Hazel's soiled diaper. I mean, once, you quickly wrap it up in a plastic bag, and make sure you don't throw it inside one of these child care bins. You know, make sure you throw it outside. Go out in the rain to throw it away. Make, make sure that it's far away from you. So since the Jews use this extra time to treat God's kindness with such contempt, Romans says that they are storing up for themselves more and more guilt. They are giving God more ammo, more sins to punish them for on the day of God's wrath. So that day when God will sit as, as the judge, and God will call each person to account, each person to stand in the dock before him. On that day, God will judge these Jews for the sins that they judge others for and for spurning his kindness to them. And on that day, how will God judge everyone? That's what the next passage talks about. So let's start with verse 6. How will God judge everyone? God will repay each person according to what they have done. So God will look at each person to see what you have done and will repay them or reward them or give them what they, they deserve, what is due to them. And there are two groups of people. Yes, so it's this flow chart. So God will judge everyone by, according to what they have done. So first group are the people who by persistence in doing good, they seek glory, honor, immortality. He will give eternal life. Now doing good here, uh, means doing what God intended uh, for the Jews to do in verse 4, which is to turn from their evil, to repent, turn from their sin. So that's the first group. The second group are those who by self-seeking, and who, who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. There will be wrath and anger. Okay, so the two ways are quite clear. Well, first, uh, first is, do good or repent, you get eternal life. Do evil, as wrath and anger. So as the letter reader is reading the passage, the Jews will say, that's very good, but your diagram is lacking. There is a third way. The way is to be, 
to be a Jew. So being a Jew, I don't have to do good, I don't repent, I straight away go to eternal life. But Paul says, no. So verse 9 to 10, uh, they say roughly the same things as verse 6 to 8, except that they add who this each person is. Each person refers to not just the Gentile, refers to the Jew and the Gentile. Everyone, both Jew and Gentile, they'll be judged this same way. So whether they have done evil or whether they have done good by repenting. Now, why are the Jews condemned? Because, verse 6 says, God repays all according to their works, whether they have repented or whether they have done evil. So what Paul says is the Jews have done evil. They break the law that God gave them. So they are condemned. But the Jews over this side, they put up their hands and straight away say, Wait, I have the law. I, I even lead people uh, in doing Bible studies on Leviticus. Have you done that? So I am righteous before God. So to this, Paul will ask them the question, the question in point two. Jew, where is your law? Where is your law? So from verse 12 to 13, you see that the, the law isn't just written on paper. Let's look at that together. Verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Friends, the law has to be lived out. The law has to be shown in their lives. Otherwise, you are not righteous in God's sight. So this is the principle, and next Paul shows the positive example and negative example of this principle. So the positive example of someone who can keep the law is from verse 14. You see, who does Paul use as his example? What does verse 14 say? Who is it? Gentiles, yes. Verse 14, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. It's the lawless, uncircumcised, sinful, filthy Gentiles who are the, the positive example, not the Jews on this side. How come the Gentiles are righteous? Let's see what verse 15 says. This is why. Verse 15. They show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. So what this passage is saying is that the Gentiles show the requirements of the law written on their hearts. Now the Gentiles in this passage are different from Gentiles that we saw last week. So this is what Paul says about the Gentiles, uh, the chapter 1 Gentiles. If you have your Bibles, you can just turn one page to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Their hearts were darkened. Uh, their foolish hearts were darkened. And chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. 
So the chapter 1 Gentiles, they are the ones that sin against God. They, they have hearts, they are so hard, so darkened, that there's no way they want to listen to God. The chapter 2 Gentiles are different. The chapter 2 Gentiles are the ones with the law written on their hearts. Now this is an important, uh, having the law written on your hearts is a, a very important Old Testament echo. You see, what Paul is saying is that these, these group of Gentiles, these are the New Covenant Gentiles. God talked about them 700 years ago before the Book of Romans. This is what uh, God said in Jeremiah. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what Paul is saying is that these, these group of Gentiles, they have God's law in their hearts to be God's people. They have trusted in Jesus to save them. So if this new heart, the Gentiles no longer are, are, are no longer completely rebellious against God. They are the Gentiles who repent. The Gentiles who turn away from sin towards God. Sometimes they fail, but sometimes they do obey God. Now where is their law? Their law is on the inside. Their law is written on their hearts. Okay, some Gentiles can have the law written in their hearts. But what about the Jews? Where is their law? Well, they have the law of Moses, the one that well, Moses copied down straight from the mouth of God. And this law well, gives them great privilege. So verse 17 says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. So what these verses are saying is, the law helps the Jew know God so that they can boast that they know God and tell other people they know God. And the law teaches them what God desires, what God wants them to do, so that the Jews can hear and know what is the most superior thing or the most excellent thing, the best thing to do. So where is their law? Their law is on their ears to hear it. And not just that, they even teach others the law. So verse 19 and 20 say, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now because the Jews have the law, they cannot teach non-Jews or the Gentile, or they can teach the non-Jews what God is, who God is, what he desires. The blind, the foolish, the little children, those who are in the dark. So where is their law? Their law is on their lips to teach it. So the Jews have great benefit. Uh, they have the law and they teach the law. But they don't keep the law. They don't keep the law. So verse 21 says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? So Jews teach others but they don't teach themselves. They do, the, they do the sins, they preach against, and they break the law. Oh, they are hypocrites. They are law-breaking, dishonest God who gave them the law. So verse 23 and 24 say, 
For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Jews dishonor God's reputation among the nations because they do the sins they preach against. So the Gentiles, when they see the Jewish neighbors breaking the law, they'll think, ah, those Jews over there, they don't even listen to their God. Maybe they think their God is not that important. Maybe their, their God is not real to them. Now, if their God is not real to them, their God is not real to me. Maybe their God is not real at all. You see, what Paul is trying to say is, it's not just the Gentiles' fault or that, the, that, gent, that they blaspheme God. It is the law-hearing, law-teaching, law-breaking Jews' fault. Where is their law? It's on their ears when they hear it. It's on their mouths when they teach it. Their law is on the outside. Not on the inside. Not where it matters most. They, their law is not written on their hearts. And because their law is just on the outside, they are not the new covenant Christians that Jeremiah talks about. They cannot repent. They cannot be declared righteous. The outside law doesn't bring the law inside, into the heart. No, it doesn't. The Jews, with what, the past, what Paul wants the Jews to know, what the Jewish Christians know is the Jews with the law on their hearts must repent from sin. They must repent from hypocrisy, from breaking the law that they hear and preach to follow God. So where is your law? For the Jews, it's not written in their hearts. So they cannot obey God. The Jews need to have the law written on their hearts where it matters most. But the Jew will put out their hand again and say, Wait, what about circumcision? I was circumcised on the eighth day just as God commanded Abraham. I'm not like those uncircumcised Gentiles who are outside of God's promises. To this objection, Paul asks, point three, where is your circumcision? Where is your circumcision? The Jew will say, well, my circumcision was on the flesh. It's on the outside. Now, circumcision cuts away the flesh for the males to show that they are God's people. And this cutting is is normally permanent, naturally permanent. It is impossible to reverse. Recently, I tried to uh, Google to see what whether it's, it is uh, possible to reverse. There is there are some people who try, but it takes years to reverse. It seems, or you could do a surgery, but that's that's not natural. That's not that's not what you're supposed to do. Circumcision is like cutting off your finger; it doesn't grow back naturally. But Paul says, circumcision can be reversed. How? Let's look at verse 25. Circumcision has value if you have the law, if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as, as though you had not been circumcised. So if you break the law, your circumcision 
is reversed. It's as if the skin that you have cut off permanently has grown back. And then you become like the lawless, uncircumcised, sinful, filthy Gentiles that you condemn. So outside circumcision looks like it can be reversed. But Paul doesn't mean a physical outward reversal. But Paul is talking about the reversal on the inside. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. Do you see what it says? So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are lawbreaker. The law-keeping Gentile will be considered circumcised. And he doesn't even need to go through the painful physical circumcision and the painful few weeks that he has to take to recover. He'll be part of God's people, while you, the law-hearing, law-teaching, law-breaking Jew, becomes, or you will not. So the law-keeping Gentile becomes the true Jew, while the law-breaking Jew becomes the disobedient Gentile. The law-keeping Gentile becomes the true Jew, while the law-breaking Jew becomes the disobedient Gentile. The circumcision that matters is what the law-keeping Gentiles have. Now verse 28 starts with uh, 4. So that it's not there in the NIV, but it's, it's there in the ESV. So verse 28 and 29 tell us why their circumcision is the right one. For a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Where is your circumcision? Outside circumcision doesn't make you a real, a true Jew. What matters is the inside circumcision. Circumcision of the heart. You see, the outside circumcision doesn't cut deep enough to reach inside, to reach the heart. And this inside circumcision, Paul says, happens by God's Spirit. Inside circumcision that the written law cannot do. Now another prophet, Ezekiel, prophesied about this inside heart change. So I'm Ezekiel 36. So this is what God says. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. O God, will remove the old heart and God will put his spirit inside to help to help these people walk in God's ways. And this happens when someone believes in Jesus. So where is the circumcision? The one that matters is on the inside. But this inside circumcision doesn't just stay on the inside. 
it shows itself in the outside. Inside, circumcision shows itself in repentance, in turning away from sin and turning to God. This is the one that God declares righteous. But for the Jews, their circumcision is just on the outside. That's why they are sinful. Now let's sum up what we have learned today. So firstly, why are the Jews condemned? They are condemned because they break the law. Second, so why, are, why can't the Jews be considered righteous? Because they don't have the stuff on the inside. They fail to deliver where it matters most. Where is their law? Their law is on the outside, not on the inside. No law written on your heart. Where is their circumcision? It's on the outside, not on the inside. No circumcision of the heart. So that's why the Jews do evil. That's why they deserve God's punishment. That's why it's, that's why there's, that's why they are, they are just as guilty of God's punishment as the Gentiles in chapter 1. The Jews are guilty. So what does this mean for the Roman Jewish Christians? The ones sitting in the church, the ones hearing the letter? This means that they cannot be hypocrites anymore. They are no better than the Jews, uh, they're no better than the Gentiles that they criticize. And they must know that God will repay, will repay them for their law breaking. And they must seize the opportunity they have to, from God's kindness, to repent, to turn from rebelling against God's law. And to trust Jesus for the inside law, for the inside circumcision. I will learn more about this in the next few weeks. What does it mean, what does it mean to trust in Jesus? But this also means for the Jew that they must stop despising the Gentile Christians who don't have the law from Moses and who don't have the circumcision. Because the Gentile Christians who have trusted in Jesus, they are the true Jews. The law is written on their hearts. Their circumcision is on their inside. God will repay everyone according to what they have done. Everyone, the Jew, the Gentile, and you sitting in that chair, and on that chair, and that chair. Listen to, to Paul's warning about hypocrisy in judging others. Now, I'm not saying that we must never point out sin in others, other people's lives. No. We must lovingly point out sin, show them what the Bible says, and encourage repentance, encourage a turning back to God. The hypocrisy I'm talking about is hypocrisy in judging others because you have the visible outside Christianity. Now you judge other people for having less outside stuff. Maybe his or her name doesn't come up as much as on the duty roster as you. Or maybe you have 50% attendance at small group. But this guy, oh, he hasn't even showed up. You see, there's always someone lower down in this outward Christianity pecking order. There's always someone less Christian outwardly than you. But what Paul says in Romans 2 is God will not judge you 
whether your outside Christianity is better than someone else. God will judge you based on your works. Whether you repent or you do evil. Whether you turn from sin or whether you willfully harbor this secret sin in your heart that you refuse to tell anyone about. Whether you trust in Jesus for righteousness or you trust in this outward Christianity. Friends, where is your law? Where is your circumcision? Is it just outside? Do you just have the looks of an outside Christian? Or is it on the inside? Do you have the law written in your heart? Do you have this, do you have the circumcision of the Spirit on your heart? That shows itself outwardly in doing good by repenting, by turning from sin. Okay, I'll end with this story. Now, someone I know was angry with his wife. So in his mind, he was he's rehearsing the things that, that happened. And each time he rehearsed it, he added something, something else that he saw. So in, so in the replay one, oh, she was rude here. Replay five, she wasn't submissive. And by the time you reach the tenth replay, you are convinced that she is the sinful one, or you are the righteous one. Now that uh, that day, with all these uh, angry thoughts, uh, he went through the New City Catechism. So the New City Catechism is a way of remembering the, uh, the basic truths about Christianity in a question and answer form. So let me just read you two two questions. Question seven. What does the law of God require? Answer. That we love God with all our hearts, soul, mind and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So the message for this person, you have failed to love your neighbor, your wife. Question 13. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Answer. Since the fall, no human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. So this is the message. You are sinful too. Stop your hypocritical judging. So repentance for him meant three things. Number one, stop thinking that you're more righteous and judge your wife. Number two, turn Turn from hypocrisy. Number three, confess your sins to God and to your wife. Friends, where is your law? Where is your circumcision? I hope yours is on the inside, where it leads you to repent from sin, from judging others. Let's pray. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Heavenly Father, uh, as we have just read, as we have just heard from your word, pray that we will, please convince us that this is true, that you will judge. And we pray that you help us to desire what the best thing that you have for us, that to, to, to have the law 
return your hearts. We have the circumcision of the hearts. They help us to see where we are hypocritical. And we pray that we will be humble and repent. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.